0: You want you want the piano?
1: Yeah, hit me with the keys.
0: Welcome in to the final edition of Chasing Interesting before the 2020 election, Joe. We've almost made it.
1: Hey, I was getting worried. I thought like we were gonna leave everybody. Yeah, it, it is the last one before next Tuesday's election, which is uh, pretty top of mind across the board uh that's craig hoffman i'm joe gerard lot of stuff to handle today and thank you as always craig for for joining and to our listeners to people who want to be a part of our podcast you know thank you thank you for for listening we love that
0: i love how you've now commandeered a podcast that i created thanks for joining your own podcast craig you're welcome <laughs> joe you're welcome
1: right. that's just fantastic Fantastic.
0: All right. Uh, Coming up on the show today, the election is actually not the top story. That is because COVID cases are on the rise around the country, so we'll talk about that, some of the things that might be happening in the next couple of weeks, how the election could affect all this. I'm going to go ahead and say, foreshadowing, I don't believe that it's magically going to disappear the day after the election. Just throwing it out there. The president said that might happen. I... I don't think he's right in that regard.
1: I would bet money on the same answer as you. Yeah, Um, probably smart. Considering Europe has now upped their ante by a lot. I'm sure you saw the news this week.
0: Yeah, and also it's not a hoax. This thing is real. It's killed almost 240,000 Americans, and it damn near killed the president, but, like, who's counting? Uh, also on the show today, Supreme Court now has a new makeup, and they are also, though, while a lot of people are focused on Amy Coney Barrett, they are making decisions right now that could affect this election, including one in Wisconsin that included an opinion written by Brett Kavanaugh that is the absolute reason, Exhibit A, why we were all terrified of Brett Kavanaugh because he is bad at his job also uh, what is happening in Philadelphia and why I'm kind of gonna defend Kim Kardashian oh that's coming up and welcome to my lawn but we start as always with important and interesting as we said, Joe, COVID cases on the rise. We talked about it a little bit last week. They were skyrocketing in Europe. They were starting to come up here. Now you are seeing some of the highest caseloads in the country. You are seeing extremely high positivity rates in a ton of states. Hospitalizations are up across the country, and this is happening Obviously, just a week before a lot of people, while the the early voting records are up, there's going to be a lot of people that are they're mixing and matching over the next uh, couple days to early vote and then ultimately vote on Election Day. It is happening as we get enter November uh, over the weekend and Thanksgiving, and it's going to be less travel than usual, but there's still plenty of people that are going to travel for the holidays are coming. This is a serious, serious problem, and not to mention it's cold and flu season as well. So the chances that everyone's going to be coughing and sneezing and not feeling their best and their immune systems are compromised anyway are already, you know, at a high this time of year.
1: Yeah. And uh, so this week over in France and Germany, they've really stepped up their strict guidelines. They submitted a nationwide lockdown over in France, nearly as strict as, as it was for them back in March. People are allowed to leave their homes for school, essential goods and work. That's really it. Um, And if their employer says it's impossible to do the job from home, they obviously go to work and go ahead over to Germany and Italy. Same kind of deal. They're doing a partial month-long lockdown. Uh, Germany, they're taking all their restaurants, bars, gyms, concert halls, theaters, and they're closing everyone down starting November 2nd. So they were the first to kind of see what's happening with COVID back in February, maybe late January, and then it hit us. Don't you think it's gonna? Be the same for us here, Craig, in the States. It's going to happen. This is what's happening. We need to act now.
0: Kind of, but it's actually already happening. And also, we are way dumber about COVID than they are. So it's going to be worse here. And so, yeah, it we're going to follow their curve, but we're already starting from a higher floor. And that's obviously hugely problematic. We don't want everybody to be sick. This sucks. This sucks that people are continuing to lose family members, that people are continuing to deal with, uh, the hospitalizations and and all these kinds of things that are happening that are really serious. This isn't a political issue. I mean, it is a political issue, but it, it's also not. It, it is a real life, you know problem that we are encountering here and the lack of leadership is causing huge problems. And that leads us to the, again, I'm, I want to talk about what is happening with politicians, but I don't really care as much about the politics. I think people have decided a long time ago, Trump is bad at handling COVID. I trust Biden more. If that is their number one issue, they're probably voting for Joe Biden in the election. I don't think we need to belabor that point. But Donald Trump right now and his administration are still in charge. So we need to talk about the absence of leadership and what it actually fundamentally means. And I actually read, Joe, this morning, an article in El País, which is a Spanish newspaper. Uh, I read the English translation because. Because although I have been uh, doing the occasional babble, I don't speak Spanish. No hablo espanol. Solo un poco. But it was really, really good with some of the latest science on how this disease is spread and what preventative measures can be taken. And what they found is, one, as usual, and actually really, I'm going to say number two, masks work. But really even more importantly than masks is ventilation. You know, this is why being outside and getting together outside if you're going to get together with people is so important because the aerosols, these very tiny microscopic particles that carry the disease, disperse almost immediately when outdoors. They can't just gather. If you're, you're indoors and there's no ventilation, then the air is stale. They just sit there. And then if you're in the same space and the longer the exposure, the more a positive person is putting that out into the air and then you potentially become infected so what this tells us is the best most effective ways that we could reopen that we could have some semblance of a normal life is to invest in ventilation especially now that it's going to be cold outside and we're going to want to be inside so we need proper ventilation indoors something that will keep the air particles moving and filtrate it and we need to be masked. And this is why places like restaurants have been linked to so many and bars have been linked to so many cases, because those places don't have that. And if there, there are requirements put in place that you must have a COVID approved ventilation system and masks and 50% capacity and all the like, then yeah, these places could open. But if not, we're just gonna have to close them down Or we're going to have an even more intense spike of COVID cases and a lot. And we're talking maybe another 100,000 people die uh, from the coronavirus. And that's just, it's tragic and unnecessary. And if there were leaders in place that shared this information and created those restrictions, we could save a lot of lives.
1: Do you think doing a nightly curfew would help as well? Over in Europe, they're doing that, especially in Spain, uh, restricting uh, regional travel as well. That's going to be hard because of the holidays coming up. People want to be home with their family. How can you restrict travel when this is all happening. Yeah, I I
0: think they work because they, like there's nothing magical about night other than, you know, hey, that's going to keep people out of bars probably um, if bars are open. And And it does limit the amount of interaction you have. So if you're trying to think about this in terms of limiting spread, the less time that different groups of people that otherwise wouldn't interact are together, the more you can restrict that, the more you're going to help prevent the spread of the disease. So if you kind of limit the window in which people can have that interaction and a potential infection can happen, then, yeah, it's going to work. It sucks for the businesses. It sucks for people who, you know, if you work and you're an hourly worker and all of a sudden your shift ends at 8 instead of 10, like, that sucks. I'm not saying that there's a, not an economic p- impact. And I think there might be more effective ways, such as the investment in ventilation systems, to do some of this kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the biggest factor outside of, like, the the masks and the ventilation was the length of exposure in this article that I read in El Pais. So if you're talking about that to limit the amount of time that people can gather, then, yeah, absolutely, they'll work.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Look at 83,000 new corona cases over the weekend, Midwest and Mountain West hit very hard. We can say because of weather, because of cold temperatures, people are staying more indoors. 15 states added more new cases last week than any other seven day period since this started. We are in an upward trajectory and we have to combat this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just one last note on the leadership element what Mike Pence did last week was disgusting. And five of his top aides get coronavirus. He's clearly exposed. And he just keeps traveling around the country. The job of vice president, I've heard a bunch of political commentators say this, um, so I'm, I'm biting off of them. But the number one responsibility of the, the vice president is to be alive.
1: <laughs> That's the trick. Like, that is literally,
0: your job is to be alive just in case something happens to the president. And Mike Pence is failing at that. Because he should be isolating. Instead, he's out there exposing himself. He couldn't keep coronavirus out of his inner circle. And then, on top of failing at the job of maximizing his chances to breathe, he then took that and was willing to risk other people. And that's just, you know, when you see the president and the vice president do these kinds of things, it makes us is just like regular citizens go, like, I don't think any of us look at those two and are like, oh, well, they're the president. It's okay. No, like I look at that and be like, all right, well, if they're doing it, like, why can't I, right? Like what's so essential about what they're doing? You know, if they, if they can go out and campaign, why can't I go see my family? Right. And and I think that's how most people look at it. And so just the, the leadership example is trash. Um, and, you know, this is the head of the coronavirus task force and that's, That's all you need to know about the current leadership based off what's coming out of the White House.
1: Easily. And by the way, you know, some um, cities are taking their own measures in El Paso, Texas. Residents are asked to stay at home for two weeks as uh, obviously Texas officials in that area are seeing spikes like crazy. Um, They're seeing all these huge surges. So they're asking people, look at this for two weeks, stay home. If you don't have to go out, stay home. So I would like to see other local officials, you know, do the same.
0: And that's going to happen nationwide. It's coming, you know, and we're about to talk about Dr. Fauci and what he would like to do. But on the local level, these localities are not going to be like, okay, we're playing political games. So the president can win or lose the election. They're, they're trying to protect their people And a city like El Paso is seeing it get out of control. And it's a great job by them. Speaking of Dr. Fauci, Joe, this story came out this morning.
1: Yeah. So Dr. Fauci, obviously getting out to the American people and Fauci, we trust, <laughs> and, and, and really telling the American people to take the proper measures. Um, he says in a recent article that from the Washington Post, things could get seriously much worse because we are in a trajectory going in the wrong direction. He says, I don't see anything that anyone's doing right now that's going to change that, and it's really bothering me, Fauci said. In my wildest dreams, he goes on saying, I would not have imagined that something that involves each and every one of us, ourselves, our families, our parents, our children, could not be approached in a more uniform way. Instead, this triggered a degree of diversiveness, the likes of which I've never seen. And he is spot on. This man, by the way, is getting death threats. Do you know that? His family, is like they come after his wife and his children have been harassed. He has a security detail. What is happening? This is the
0: culmination of the anti-intellectualism that has been a pillar of the Republican Party and the American conservative movement since, I mean, really its inception, but in hyperspeed over the last decade, two decades, um, since Barack Obama came on the scene. And, and, I mean, you could argue going all the way back into the 90s and, and maybe even all the way back to Reagan. But just this push against science, this push against intelligence i mean again like if you want to take it to the iraq war like we went to war in iraq because they ignored intelligence because they had other things that they wanted to do and dick cheney got away with it um to the extent that they got away with it but it's the expense and cost of thousands and thousands of american lives and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands thousands of iraqi lives so you have an anti-intellectualism push and so now you have a scientist in dr fauci and a health expert in dr fauci who's been so widely respected over a five decade career in which he's worked for five different presidents and he's getting death threats and people don't believe him and people are like oh i believe the president over the expert it's, it's the politicization of everything, and it's the politicization of science that's just—and it's really harmful because science doesn't care whether you believe it or not. Science is real, and you're going to die. Like, if you get coronavirus and you've got a comorbidity or you don't get proper treatment or whatever the case may be, or maybe you just get unlucky. Maybe your case is so severe and you, you did everything right. Maybe you, you are just trying to hold on to, to vote for Biden. Maybe the last thing you do is fill out a ballot to, to vote for Joe Biden. And then you die of coronavirus, but you believe the whole time. Science does not care. That's what's happening here. It's just the the anti science push that has taken mostly hold in things like climate change, but also the anti vax movement, also an anti intelligence that like anti expert that has taken hold in many many ways, including the actual literal intelligence community. That is just it, it, it's so out of control. And Joe, I'm curious your thoughts on this part of it. If you're Fauci, if you, I, I like, we sit here and go like, "Hey, Fauci, you're brilliant," but like, welcome. This has been going on for months, and I just I'm a little frustrated that it took him this long to say it out loud. While at the same time, I acknowledge he was trying not to get fired and he was trying to appease Trump enough to be able to continue to do the work and ultimately get us and steward the country to safety. And the politics wasn't really his concern.
1: No, I I agree. I think this is obviously something he been wanting to say for a while look at have you noticed that he hasn't been really doing any official white house events or doing yeah. when they do the coronavirus updates which i don't even think happened anymore
0: and he told 60 minutes that they blocked him right from doing right. all that stuff
1: for a long time trump always would say nice things about him but recently he now is calling him um i don't want to say an idiot but uh i mean he
0: literally called him an idiot did he really yeah, he's, it, I, he said like these idiots, like Dr. Fauci. Yeah, in an interview a couple of weeks ago or within the last like ten days. So yeah, Trump, the the tide has turned, and maybe that's I, I think the combination of that, where Trump has been so outwardly vile, and the fact that he knows that the election is around the corner, and that yeah, I mean if Trump fires him between now and January, then he'll just continue to work in some private lab, and then Joe Biden will rehire him on day one. So like at this point you know, as long as Biden wins the election, which I don't know, I don't think Fauci's checking the 538 polling every day, but I don't know, man, like it's, it's, it's really interesting to see him admit this at this point, because he's had to have known this for a long time. Like he's had to feel this, or maybe he's just so focused on the work that like he was naive to the politics, but at this point, like it's inescapable.
1: Absolutely, and with the election next week, I think he has to come clean on a bunch of things, and this is his stance. The guy's been in the game for a very long time, working four or five presidents, so you know he has he has credentials, he knows what he's talking about,
0: and the American public knows it like the American public knows it because he's got some of the highest approval ratings. You know they've dropped a little bit because some people suck and don't believe in science, but generally, like his approval rating is way higher than Trump's
1: Oh, yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. But don't, don't, by the way, not according to Twitter. Trump says he's, his approval rating is 92%.
0: Joe, I don't know how to break this to you. Our president is not very bright and he does not live in reality.
1: You're fired. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, let's swerve through DC from the White House up to the Supreme Court where there are now 9 justices again. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died less than 2 months ago and she has already been replaced. Even though the last time a Supreme Court justice died in an election year, it was 10 months before the election and the nominee never got a hearing cuz Mitch McConnell is an evil ghoul. Uh, So Amy Coney Barrett (laughs) is now on the Supreme Court, and that cements a 6-3 conservative majority for now. We will see what happens. Joe Biden has said if he is elected, he will take the first 180 days or so of his administration to collect recommendations from all kinds of different progressive groups, including uh, progressive legislators, and then take their suggestions, and they will come up with a plan to potentially alter the court. He has said he is against... Term limits on the Supreme Court, which I hate. I think term limits are a great way to ensure that the court is staying in line with the American people and and how they view it. But that's where we stand right now. And they're also getting to some rulings uh, on some of these cases that are going to help decide this election potentially. So we'll get to those in a minute, specifically one in Wisconsin. But Joe, now that it's all happened and gone down, like where are you at? And and what are the top line items to you with Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation?
1: So this lifelong position that these court justices hold does that mean they can't leave or retire and they have to keep this job for life
0: no they can they can retire um and that has happened and what happened with ruth bader ginsburg honestly was she thought hillary clinton was going to win the 2016 election and she was going to retire then and get replaced by the first female president and obviously there was a change of plans and she intentionally tried to hold on these last four years, despite failing health multiple times and, and a bunch of health scares, because she did not want Donald Trump to replace her. And obviously, we see why.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And then, so four years ago, because I, I just can't wrap my head around this, we 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 lose a, a Supreme Court justice during an election year. Mitch McConnell's like, no, no, no. We got to wait till the election. So that tends to go, what, like you said, 10 months. And here we are, two months after Roots passing and they've already replaced it. So how is it that okay now, but it wasn't okay 4 years ago? Like no, seriously, explain to me how that is doable.
0: Because all Mitch McConnell cares about is putting conservative justices on the court. It's not okay. Like that's that's the point. They stole a seat. They stole Mer- they they really stole two seats. They stole Barack Obama's ability to fill a seat. While we were still in the earliest portions of election, like you're talking Republican primaries were happening, Donald Trump wasn't even the presumptive Republican nominee yet when Merrick Garland was supposed to get hearings and get voted on. And he was probably one of the more moderate and most qualified judges that had ever been put forth for a Supreme Court nomination and would have in a nonpartisan era been a 100 to nothing vote of approval had he gotten... An actual vote. But because the Senate majority leader gets the full control of what gets voted on and not in the Senate, Mitch McConnell didn't even bring him up for a vote, wouldn't allow him to have a hearing. He sets the agenda. It's a reminder that elections have consequences, that the 2014 midterms had consequences. And so, yeah, that's that's the answer is Mitch McConnell only cares about power and he used the power that he had to put hacks like brett kavanaugh on the supreme court so that leads us to brett kavanaugh being on the supreme court and writing one of the sloppiest disgusting ridiculous out of touch factually inaccurate opinions in the history of the court and this article uh i'm reading from is in slate And it is simply titled, Let's Count All the Errors and Lies on Brett Kavanaugh's Defense of Voter Suppression. So, a lot of states right now, you have Republicans in some, Democrats in others, suing to try to either get votes eliminated or votes counted. Democrats are suing in many states to try to make it easier for people to vote. Republicans consistently, this is not me being a partisan, these are the facts of the cases, are trying to make it harder to vote to quote unquote fight voter fraud, a thing that has time and again been proven not to exist. So in Wisconsin, there was a law that got challenged that said votes had to be in by a certain time on election day, mail-in votes, as opposed to postmarked by election day. And Brett Kavanaugh, in its defense, wrote that that was fine, and he made a comparison to people showing up to vote, for instance, on election day, and they can't show up at midnight when the polls close at 8 p.m. and expect to be given to vote. That deadlines are allowed. And the, the analogous in-person thing would be showing up versus actually being allowed to vote. If you show up at 7.57 p.m. and the polls close at 8, they have to let you vote. It doesn't matter if there's a four hour line, as long as you are in line to vote before the polls close, you are legally required to be allowed to vote. So if you cast, so it is essentially a submission deadline. There are no rules in person that limit the actual, like when it is counted number. And yet that's what Kavanaugh argued. It's a completely disingenuous bullshit argument. Another challenge was that this rule was changed late in the game. He referenced Vermont and said, Vermont has made no changes to their laws, where actually Vermont just allowed a massive amount of more votes. I believe it was the universal mail-in voting in their election, and that was changed over the summer. So there's just lies. There's disingenuous crap, and it just shows. And he also, by the way, this was the other big one. He cited as some precedent some things that happened in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, a case that at the time when the Supreme Court ruled on it, that they said never use this as precedent. This is a one-time only. We're deciding this for right now. Do not ever reference this case again. Yet Brett Kavanaugh did, which is extra fucked up because guess who was a lawyer working for the Bush team on that case for the Supreme Court?
1: Ooh. Hmm. I don't know. Definitely not Borat. Who?
0: Uh, it would be Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, shit. So he referenced his own victory in court. Fuck that guy.
1: I have nothing to add to that point. Another story coming out of Philadelphia this past week, not getting as much attention as it should And like other of these type of situations that have in the past. Uh, Craig, you can indulge a little more on this.
0: Yeah, it's... Yet another case where the case for defunding the police due to an inability to handle situations specifically involving people of color and the mentally ill comes to the forefront and ends tragically. Uh, Walter Wallace Jr. was having a mental health episode. His family called the police and they showed up. And instead of eventually being able to help him through the mental health episode and, and getting him where he needed to be safely and alive, they shot him. He was armed in that he had a knife, but again, you're talking about a mentally ill person and there were no tasers used, there were nothing. Instead, he was shot. I believe there were 10 shots fired. And had a paramedic who had a mental health background showed up or a social worker showed up or anybody that did not have a gun, he does not get shot. And you can say, well, what What if he stabbed someone? Like if he stabbed someone and killed them, yeah, that'd be terrible. Um, but... The chances of that happening versus a trained professional being able to navigate the situation successfully, which happens a lot in a lot of places, that, that's probably how that would have ended up. So it's important to note this because of COVID and the election and all these things, it's not getting the attention. There are protests and there are things happening in Philadelphia, but it's just another reminder, Joe, of two things. One, people who suffer from mental illness and even while they are having a mental health episode are still people and they deserve to live. And two, the police are unable to take care of those situations, which is why funding needs to shift away from the police, where the police are expected to solve every problem, to people who can solve problems in other ways. And I I just wanted to flag that this week because I think it's important to continue to say that and to not let something like this go by because there's something else happening in the world that affects a lot of us with the election and obviously with COVID. And with that, of course, we segue right back into the election. So uh, we did want to touch on it. It is the last show before the election. And so, Joe, question time. What are you most confident about in this election with less than a week to go? What gives you hope? What gives you any good kind of vibes and feelings?
1: You know what gives me hope and my most confident piece of evidence is that 75 million people have already casted their votes, which is more than half the total voters from 2016, and we're still, you know, days away. That is a shit ton of people. People are aware, they're focused, they want to submit their votes, they want to be a part of this process. That's what I'm most confident about, is that people are voting, and it's wonderful to see.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that gives me the, the biggest confidence is the turnout, one, one like like you said there's just more of us than there is of them and if more people vote the percentages are going to slightly shift towards democrat because that's how democracy works if more people are involved and more people have the same beliefs as one side that side's going to get more votes and so that gives me a lot of hope that the loss in 2016 motivated people we saw it in 2018 and that ultimately that's going to end in Joe Biden being president and based off of how some of these state Senate races are going as well, that there are multiple paths for him to win the presidency and for Democrats to take back the Senate. You have states like Iowa that are up and... you know, Joni Ernst is running behind there uh, to Teresa Greenfield, the Democrat, who could win there. You're going to see a, a sit, seat almost certainly flip in Ala- or in uh, Maine. You could see a seat flip in Alaska. You, you are definitely going to see a seat flip in Colorado. And then we'll see if, if, you know what happens if randomly Doug Jones does win in Alabama? That's going to be really tough. There's a Senate race in Mississippi that's going to be closer than it's ever been before. It, it'd be a miracle if some of those long shots But it wouldn't be a miracle if Jamie Harrison won in South Carolina. And that in itself is amazing progress. And so we'll see what happens in states like Georgia and North Carolina as well. But I I do think that we're getting to a place where a a more representative democracy is going to come. What scares you the most, though, with a week to go? Because to me, it's these court cases. It's that in states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which could potentially have razor thin margins, that the naked ballot thing in Pennsylvania that we talked about a couple of weeks ago could discount some votes and swing that state that votes getting in too late in Wisconsin because of the Supreme court ruling uh, are, are going to be the difference in go, it going red or blue. That's what scares me the most is that people are going to vote and their votes are going to get stripped away. And that's not only going to potentially change the election, but could discourage them from voting in the future.
1: You know what scares me is that Mitch McConnell is reelected. That's what's going to scare me because this, I mean, what are we doing? Like he, and he's from Kentucky. So we need people, all our listeners in Kentucky, which is a shit ton of them. We know (laughs) that they need to stand up and get this man out of here. He's, he's a big problem.
0: He's got to go. And hopefully at the very least, if he he is up for reelection, Amy McGrath, has not really run a great campaign in Kentucky. And he's, despite the fact that McConnell has the highest disapproval rating of any senator in the country, he's got enough of, of approval in Kentucky that he keeps getting reelected. And it's Kentucky. And so it's the reddest of red states, uh, just about. It's in the, that top 10 of red states. So um, it sucks. It's not how this country was designed that a one, one senator from a random state that doesn't match the demographics and the views of the rest of the country because have this much power. But that's why we need to win the Senate and take the gavel out of his hands. And if he's the minority leader, he can be a pain in the ass, but he doesn't have the power that he has now as majority leader. Right. Hi! Welcome to my lawn, Joseph, did you see what Kim Kardashian did over the weekend?
1: You know, I did see on Twitter that she posted a photo that she went to an island with her favorite people, including her family, her inner circle. She went to celebrate her 40th birthday. Uh, Everyone was all dressed up. You can tell it was very ritzy. Um, And people literally lost their minds. They did. That she was posting these kind of photos and especially during these times of coronavirus. Here's my deal. To me, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a big deal. I can see how it she was tone deaf though and really didn't read the room much and i know you kind of lost your cool about it
0: well i didn't lose my cool at her i lost my cool at the people losing their cool i will agree with you hey kim you're a billionaire people are really suffering read the room and posting about it on twitter not great but i will say this one that is a amazing way to celebrate a birthday and if you can afford it God bless you. Because you want to know what I did for my 30th birthday just before the pandemic in February? I got all my friends together in a place that I could afford, and that was the way I wanted to celebrate. I wanted to be surrounded by the people that I cared about the most. I didn't have the finances to fly us all to a private island, and it wasn't during a pandemic where I had to ask everybody to quarantine first and get tested and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of, hey, all I want for my birthday is to be surrounded by my friends and family. Like... I can't hate on that because I did that. And I don't think that's really what people are hating on. They're they're hating on her posting about it. But I will say this about Kim Kardashian. If you're mad, it's because you care. And because you care is why she's rich, so it's your fault. I have not ever cared one iota about the Kardashians. It is not in my nature. And honestly, it pisses me off that they're famous because they are famous for being famous. And that involves people caring about other people's lives at a level that is insane because it has no impact on them. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of hate is not love. It is apathy is the opposite of both. And so the difference is that I literally don't care. I've never watched their shows. I don't invest in them. I'm not emotionally invested. The only time you're ever going to see me worked up about a Kardashian is a time like this when everyone's like, ah, Kardashians. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Get off of my timeline whining about a rich person having a birthday party. Don't care and she won't be rich. The end of Rant.
1: Boom shakalaka.
0: That's a weird retort, Joe.
1: Boom shakalaka.
0: All right, we're done. And now, sports. Los Angeles has another title, Joe, which is exciting, except for nobody's talking about it because of a red-bearded man with coronavirus.
1: Poor Justin Turner, not. So the dude gets diagnosed positive with Corona during the game this week, which Dodgers, big ups to the Dodgers here in L.A. Lakers won, Dodgers win. It's a big year for Los Angeles sports. Anywho, Justin Turner gets COVID during the game, comes back out to celebrate the victory with his teammates, and now there's a full investigation from the Major League Baseball organization for refusing to adhere to the rules, Craig.
0: My biggest question in this investigation is how the hell did Justin Turner get COVID-19? Every other sports organization that has gone into a bubble, has had zero positive cases. We had none of the NWSL when MLS went down to Orlando. Everybody that got to the bubble safely, they didn't have any tests. When uh, the NBA did their bubble, WNBA did their bubble, zero positive tests. Major League Baseball has no positive tests. Everyone behaved themselves. Nobody broke the bubble. And in the playoffs, they were in a bubble. Or the last couple rounds of the playoffs, they were in a bubble. And all of a sudden, on the last day, on the day of the clinching game, they get test results in the eighth inning which why you're playing the game before the test results, I don't know, but let's ignore that for a second. How the fuck did Justin Turner get infected in the first place if he was inside of a bubble? I don't understand that, but he did. So now he goes back out, and I I empathize with Justin Turner on this level. Turner's been in the Dodgers organization for the better part of a decade. He's been a part of the, the build there. He has been a part of some heartbreaking losses in the World Series, including one to the Astros where we now know that Astros basically stole the World Series in 2017, and I get wanting to celebrate, but you just gotta wait two weeks, man. You just have to go, hey, it's the stakes are too high, and I'll see you guys in two weeks, I'll shout at you through the plexiglass, and we'll celebrate in two weeks, because as much as it is his life's work and achieving that is something you dreamt about celebrating your whole life. If you wind up giving someone coronavirus and then they give it to someone else who dies, like that World Series ain't gonna feel so good anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you make a very good point there. I absolutely see his side. Here's someone who's who's worked hard, who's grinded for the past ten years. They've been to the World Series now a couple of times, falling short. They finally get it this year. They get the victory. First time since 1988. He wants to be there with his teammates, but it's like oh, man, you got to at least maybe do it from a distance. He wasn't even doing that. He was all up in the mix.
0: And he can keep his mask on. And here's the other thing, Joe, right? If you're another player that's a teammate of Justin Turner, of course you want to celebrate with Justin Tur- Turner. He's like the heart and soul of that team. So I'm not, I'm not downplaying his involvement. Again, I'm not saying, and neither are you, that we don't understand why he wants to. But you don't always get things that you want in life. And 2020 has been a year of not getting what we want in life. That is part of this pandemic. But if you're Turner, or if you're a teammate of Turner, and maybe you have an incredible bond with your father over baseball, and for you celebrating that World Series, all you want to do is leave that bubble and go celebrate with your dad. But your dad's high risk. Now, because you've been exposed to COVID, thanks to Justin Turner, you can't go celebrate with your dad. So while yes, Justin Turner, because he's the one who has COVID, gets quote-unquote robbed of celebrating. Not even quote-unquote. He gets robbed of celebrating. Him being selfish robs others from being able to celebrate. And that's, that's being a shit teammate. And so that's why this this honestly bothers me a lot. Like, I'm mystified as how he got it. And would it suck if he set out the celebration and then all of a sudden it turned out to be a false positive or something? Like, yeah, but that's 2020. We don't always get what we want. That's life. We don't always get what we want. And it's just, it's so selfish from Turner, man. And it's just, it honestly bothers me at like a a spiritual level.
1: You know, to say it again, 2020, the year that we're not getting what we want. I mean, that's just across the board. And a lot of people... Have been selfish, and this is just another example.
0: Look good, feel good, do good. Look good this week. I got it, Joe. Uh, I was watching, as I do every week, John Oliver's show, and I just wanted to make a a recommendation to watch his segment on asylum this week. Again, there's so many things that we're not focused on because of COVID and because of the election, but the asylum process is something that is really important to our nation as a Example for the world, and as a safe haven for the world. If you think of the the message on the statue, the message on the Statue of Liberty, and the ideals that that's supposed to represent of if you're in trouble somewhere else, come here, we'll take care of you. And the asylum process is really how that's supposed to work. And Donald Trump and his administration have absolutely wrecked it. And John Oliver did a great deep dive. It's not as funny as some of his other shows, but it's really important, and I think it's a really stark reminder. Of the stakes of this election beyond COVID, beyond just common decency, but there are people's lives are on the line in so many ways. If Donald Trump is reelected, and merely having someone else in charge of the federal government, while there's a lot of stuff that happens at the local level, that leadership is important. And having Joe Biden there would would save a lot of lives. And, and this process is one way in which those lives could be saved.
1: Yeah, I have not seen this. I've heard uh, from multiple people this is a great watch. So very excited to check this out. Actually, this weekend.
0: Feel good. Joe, you are about to travel back to the East Coast Mm -hmm. from Los Angeles. Indeed. And that means leaving your garage gym, which has done you very well with some help from P90X. Indeed. So we have a goal today during feel good. Yeah. We need to create you a workout plan.
1: That's a great idea because I'm going to go back East. I'm not going to have the same resources I have here at the house in LA. So I need to come up with a plan to still keep it moving, to still break a sweat every day. And I'm not going to have, you know, the free weights and and pull-up bars and all that jazz that I have here back there. So, Craig, what do I do?
0: What do you do? Well, there's a—I'll have to send it to you personally, and I'll try to link to it in the show note. We, at the start of quarantine, did a Train With The Best podcast episode on building a home gym with minimal money. So, you know, you buy bands, you buy dumbbells, you buy this— Bands are always cheapest, so if you want to get some resistance and you don't have a lot of space, getting a set of bands is a great idea. Uh, A set of mini bands and then a set of just your regular bands that you can kind of use as a substitute for weights and resistance and and things like that. Also, getting creative is good. And if you're talking about breaking a sweat and getting some cardio in without being able to go outside as it starts to get cold and running – I would definitely check out some of the boxing gyms and see if they have Instagram live workouts. Places, you know, here in D.C., my friends at Bash have some. Uh, Rumble is more nationwide. They have some, and I'm sure many other boxing type of gyms have put workouts online. But if you want great cardio that is can be done in a small space indoors, cannot recommend boxing enough. From there, it's a lot about, you know, from like a muscle building standpoint, doing things slowly, time under tension, you know, doing push-ups and, okay, I want to see instead of how many reps can I do in 30 seconds, like everyone does the hit workouts, right. how few reps can I do in 30 seconds? So building that time under tension and control is going to help you not lose a ton of muscle mass and be able to make lightweight heavy as opposed to having heavy weights to play with. So those are some of the, the things that I would keep in mind as you start your workouts here uh, In old Eastern time.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's great. Because, you know, it's going to be cold. I got to keep it moving. Um, Even going outside to do workouts, running might be challenging. I'm not going to be going to a gym because they're pretty much closed back there from what I understand. So uh, good tips. You are very smart. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Do good this week. Hey, here we are. Halloween weekend. I just want to say a quick PSA. For our friends who are actually going out trick-or-treating, be kind to the trick-or-treaters this year. Not everyone's going to go out. People are still very sensitive to to, to being outdoors with corona and whatnot. But if you are going to do trick-or-treating, obviously mask up, keep your distance, have a great time. For those who are giving out candy, go above and beyond. Go out and get that top-shelf candy. We're talking the big bars, people, the good stuff. Um, If you want to answer the, the trick-or-treaters at your door with a mask, of course, I recommend that. Maybe in a hazmat suit. That's always fun. <laughs> Wave to the parents from afar. Hey, look at little Johnny. I think we should
0: all have signs that say, no parents beyond this point. Yeah. Right? Like, adults, you have to stay back. I'm not going to put you at risk. You're not going to put me at risk. We limit the exposure. We open the door in our hazmat suit. We hand the big candy bar to the children. That's a great plan, Joe. And it's probably actually a lot better than my plan, which was to like be a pretend I was like a CIA agent and open the door, throw a candy bar as hard (laughs) as I could at the child and then slam the door. Be like, have a great Halloween.
1: Yeah, that doesn't have the same effect. Look at people are trying to live somewhat normal lives. So let's let them have it. This could be great for morale. So let's embrace and enjoy it.
0: Oh, sorry. I was uh, Googling stock in hazmat suits. <laughs> that's it. And that's all for this week's edition of Chasing Interesting. If you want to follow us on social media, you can get Joe at Joey Gerrard on all of the platforms. I am at Craig underscore Hoffman on Instagram and at Craig Hoffman on Twitter. If you like the show, subscribe, rate, review apple podcast spotify wherever it is that you're listening right now obviously we're there we're other places too basically everywhere you get podcasts joe do you have any words for the people on the way out this week
1: you know craig a winner never stops trying this is chasing interest.